listener. KickPod acknowledges the traditional owners and custodians of the land in which we're recording this podcast, the Yulikert Woolen Clan of the Boonwurrung, who are part of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respects to our elders, past and present, and extend our respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples today. Welcome to the KickPod, your DM on the stuff that matters, but also the stuff that doesn't. One, two, three, four. Hi guys, it's just me today because Lawsy is in London, which is quite fitting because who we have on today is Dr. Hazel Wallace, who is from London and that's where we first met her. We were on Hazel's podcast um, when we were in the UK together and we spoke all about toxic diet culture and that, if you want to go and listen to it, we'll pop it in the show notes, but it is season 10, episode 7 of The Food Medic, which is her online community and podcast. She's also got three best-selling books, webinars, articles, and recipes. She's just incredible, super lovely, and explains things like super scientific things in super basic ways so that we can all understand. And today's topic that we've got Hazel on for is all about your menstrual cycle. So it is quite a taboo topic. Often we don't speak about it enough. Luckily, the way the world is going, we are speaking about it more and more. But I still find that with this topic, I learn something new every time. So what we did was we reached out to you guys. Thank you so much for sending in your fantastic questions. Hazel speaks through everything from, you know, what's normal, what's not when it comes to moodiness, how much blood you have, what's the brown stuff at the end of your period, um, why does it change after having a baby, um, acne, all of these different things that you were wondering and that I've often wondered as well, um, even things about you know going on the pill or not and how it can affect your menstrual cycle. So I think you guys are going to really get a lot out of this episode and really enjoy it. I hope so anyway. So here is my chat with Hazel. <laughs> Dr. Hazel, it is so lovely to have you on the kick pod, especially after being on your incredible podcast when we were in the UK, The Food Medic. How are you? I'm so well. Thank you for having me on. Are you enjoying Australia? I'm loving it here. (laughs) I love it here so much. I would move in a heartbeat, but I am missing London to a degree. (laughs) Well, it was lovely slightly getting to know you when we were on your podcast, but I'm excited to chat to you today. Um, Whilst I might not be getting to know you too much, I am very excited to get to know a topic you know very, very well. And it's one that is quite taboo. And I feel like luckily we are speaking about it more and more these days because I know for sure when I was growing up, I didn't know a lot of this stuff. Um, And what we're talking about is periods, basically your period cycle and how it can affect you um, and how it can affect you differently. And so what we did was we reached out to our community just to see what kind of questions they had around this topic. Um, So I'm just going to go through the list of questions because there is some (laughs) really good ones here. Um, And wanted to start with one that came up quite a bit, which is basically how do you know what's normal and what's not when it comes to pain or moodiness? Um, You know, we assume that periods equal cramping, bloating, cravings, moodiness, but what's kind of normal and then what's a bit of a red flag when you should probably go get something checked? Yeah, that's such a good question to start with. Um, I think that we, when we first learn about the menstrual cycle, well, typically we'll learn about the period and the bleeding phase, but we don't really learn more about the other parts of the cycle. Mm. And it is a cycle, you know, it's 
an ebb and flow of hormones over a typical 28-day cycle, but that is what the textbooks say. So if you don't have a bang-on 28-day cycle, don't panic. We'd start to worry or want to investigate if someone's at the extremes of that spectrum, i.e. they've got a cycle less than 21 days or more than 35 days or you find that you're not having um, more than six cycles in a year, that would be a cause to speak to your doctor because you may be having some kind of a regular cycle for an underlying reason. Um, But also when we go through periods of stress, restrictive dieting or exercise, that can also cause our periods to go a little bit irregular. Then when it comes to things like heaviness and pain, it's very subjective. You know, um, in the UK, we have like certain criteria to determine whether it's like heavy or not. But I think it really depends on the person because we all have that friend who, you know, is able to manage their period fine, but they may have a heavier flow than you. So it doesn't really... I think don't feel like you need to stick to certain criteria, i.e. you need to be using two products at one time, you're constantly leaking, those kind of things. They are all red flags, but I think it requires a little bit of um, like intuition. If this feels different or unmanageable for you, that's a sign. Um, and the same goes for pain. Like I will say this until I'm blue in the face, periods should not be that painful. Mm. We do need to expect an element of cramping because that is just our body doing its job. It's shedding that uterine lining. So we're going to feel like something happening. But I think one of the things that we've done really badly as a society is normalize menstrual pain as this. It's as if it's some other different form of pain that we should just accept. And it's not as painful as other forms. It absolutely is. So if you're someone who's finding they're going back to back with painkillers every single time they're on their period. They're using their annual leave, taking time off work because the pain is so bad. You know, I have women speak to me who like literally vomit because of the pain and Mm. that's not normal. And there are things that we can do to help. So don't put up with painful periods. And the other kind of red flaggy symptom I would say is if you're bleeding in between your period. Now, sometimes you might find spotting around ovulation, after sex, maybe after an intense exercise. But if you find it's happening quite regularly, it's something worth going to speak to your doctor because we shouldn't really be bleeding between our actual bleeding phase. Um, And those would be the big kind of core symptoms. So irregular cycles, painful periods, really heavy periods and bleeding when you shouldn't be bleeding. What about when it comes to like your emotions and your moodiness, Mm. Um, maybe particularly pre-period? I feel like that's always a time for me when just life's really hard, (laughs) really hard. And I I know for everyone that kind of level of moodiness and emotion um, is really, really different. When is the point where it's probably worth talking to someone? Yeah, so when it comes to mood, most women do report mood changes in that pre-menstrual phase, so the week before their next period. There's like a spectrum of this. So how I describe it is there's like PMSing where you just feel like a little bit all over the place, a little bit chaotic, um, maybe a little bit more tearful, a little bit emotional, but it may not happen every cycle. And then there's PMS, um, that's premenstrual syndrome. And 
there are loads of different symptoms that that could be, not just mood symptoms, but also physical symptoms like painful breasts and bloating and just fatigue, but also emotional um, symptoms like irritability, low mood, that kind of thing. And we kind of diagnose it if it's happening, happening linked to your cycle and it's happening consecutively. So you find in those few days before your period, you do experience those symptoms. And we don't know exactly how many women experience that, but, you know, a huge portion of people seem to feel that every cycle. And then there's a more extreme form of PMS, which is more mood-based called PMDD, mm. premenstrual dysphoric disorder. And that's more mood-based, like I just said, where women feel real deep depression um, in that phase just before their next period. And about three to eight percent of women experience that, but very little is known about it. You know, I remember in mm. med school, we really skimmed over that topic and didn't really come back to it. But what I found more and more, and I've actually seen it through social media as well, a lot more people are getting are raising awareness. A lot of celebrities have been recently diagnosed with it. And I think it's really important to be diagnosed because can it's, you know, it's cyclical, it's happening every month um, and there are treatment options. So if you're someone who finds that, you know, you just get a bit emotional, you know it's coming, but you're able to handle it, then you don't really need to do anything about it. But if you're someone who finds that you really can't pick yourself up off the floor every time your cycle's coming, that's a that's a sign you should really be speaking to someone. Mm, is that something that can I saw it, I I agree I've seen more of it online and is it something that can kind of come on later in life? I I saw someone speaking on TikTok and she was being very raw, very open about how she was feeling, basically saying like I don't know how I'm going to keep going through this every month, but she said that it had happened since she had a baby. And I've also heard that I mean outside of PMDD you know, periods being just different after having a baby. Why is that? What what changes after you've had a baby? We don't know why, um, but your periods can change after you've had a baby. They can change in terms of their length, their flow, symptoms, um, and they can they can change over time throughout your lifetime, even if you don't have a baby. Mm. Um, if you find like a dramatic change to your cycles, which came out of the blue that's a cause to speak to your doctor. But if it's happening over time and you've just found yourself used to be, you know, a 31-day cycle, now you're 28-day cycle and that's normal for you, that's fine. But we don't really know what shifts um, or why women kind of change. It could be just because your lifestyle is different. It could be because of your sleep pattern, because all of these things affect our cycle mm. um, or whether it's a change in the hormone shift that happened after birth. So it's it's super interesting Um and just quickly on the mood thing, because, mm. you know, there's a huge debate as to whether uh, PMS is like a real thing in the science community. And there's always people trying to prove or disprove it um, because not all studies find this really direct, clear cut association between mood and the kind of premenstrual phase. But one really interesting study that kind of got women to track their mood and their menstrual cycle. They were tracking loads of things. They didn't tell them it was like a PMS study. They found that the strongest predictor of mood wasn't actually the menstrual cycle, but was our support system, our perceived stress and our physical health. Mm -hmm. So while hormones are really powerful 
uh, influence over our mood and how we feel, we can kind of mitigate that to a degree if we feel supported by our partners, if we feel like we're looking after our health, like exercising, eating well and managing our stress levels, obviously easier said than done. But I think it's kind of empowering knowing that, mm. that you, you're not, that we're not completely <laughs> at the mercy of our hormones. Um, and when people say, you know, oh, you're just on your period or it's because you're pregnant or whatever, like just blaming it on these hormonal profiles. Sometimes it's not that. And it's okay to feel not okay for other reasons. You don't have to just kind of justify it because you're due on your period. I really like that. I really like that. Although I do sometimes use it. (laughs) Like I'm I'm about to get my period. (laughs) I'm blaming my hormones. Um, A question that came up as well uh, as another symptom, I suppose, to your menstrual cycle um, was having acne or pimples pre having your period. Um, What's, again, a normal level and is there any way to avoid it or is it just a part of it? Yeah. So the thing is, when it comes to the hormones that influence our menstrual cycle, they also influence so many other things like our metabolism, our gut health, our brain function, our mood and our skin health. Um, So estrogen and progesterone, but also testosterone is also part of the cycle, a, a smaller part, but it's in there. And just after ovulation, we see an increase, a rise in progesterone, which was before that quite low and we get a little bump in testosterone and these hormones actually increase the amount of sebum in our skin which is this oily substance that can contribute to things like acne and pimples and things like that so you might notice your skin is actually quite glowy up until you ovulate and then after that you're a bit more oily and then it can kind of be okay for maybe a week and then you have your breakout um if you're having finding that's happening all the time, so very hormonally based acne, my best advice is you don't know you don't need to have really prescriptive skincare, but maybe have some kind of preemptive preventative skincare. So you know after ovulation, maybe you're using more acids in your skincare. Um, maybe you're thinking about moisturizing your skin a little bit more before it gets that um so it holds that hydration. And instead of using oils, maybe you're using things like hyaluronic acid. So it's like not super oily, but it's still hydrating. Um, and I find that that can be really, really helpful. And maybe if you if your skin can handle it and you're not trying to get pregnant, add, adding in a retinol or something during that time as well. So we're just tweaking our skincare so that we're putting it in the best possible position that um, maybe we can offset that breakout. If you find that it's breaking out and you're getting like really painful cysts um, or it's, you know, you're unable to manage it on your own and it's continuing throughout the cycle, definitely speak to uh, your doctor or dermatologist if you have access to one because they can, you know, think about more longer term options. You may need more stronger prescription based medications for your skin. Um, But it's another thing that like don't suffer in silence, especially if you're noticing that pattern. Mm. For me, it's always like uh, I almost don't mind. I mean, I'm saying this as someone who only gets like three or four pimples on my (laughs) face. So people who suffer with acne are probably going to hate me saying this. But for me, it's like this is it tells me, okay, in about a week's time or within the next week, you're going to get your period. It's like clockwork for me. It's it's, yeah, it's so interesting. Um, The what about color of your period? So there was a few questions about 
it looking browner at either the very first day or the last day. What is that? Why is that? And then also just in general, what's kind of like the scale of normal in the color of your period? Yeah. Um, you know, color periods come in all different colors. Um, you know, the, the typical kind of fresh blood will be red, Mm -hmm. but you might find just before your period, maybe the day before you're sort of spotting and it's not red, it's a bit more brown and you might find that at the end and that's completely fine. It's just older blood. It's just because the cycle is starting um, and your endometrium starting to shed. And again, throughout the cycle, you might find as you're finishing your period, there might be a few extra days where you're spotting. I guess where spotting is a bit more of a concern is if you're having to use like a lot of um, sanitary products because it's heavier or you find that there's any kind of unusual smells associated or that it's happening outside of that uh, kind of period bleeding window. So it's absolutely fine if your period is slightly more brown than you expected. You know, it's not like the adverts um, where you see like panty liners and it's like this beautiful pink (laughs) red. That's not really how the human body looks or works from the inside. So um, don't panic unless you have a sudden change in the color. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's great advice. It's so true. They always like, or they'll use like blue dye, and it's like, yes, I know. And that that's one of the biggest issues because a lot of the products we have today have been tested, like their absorbency have been tested with just like water based solutions. So there, it's not it's not suitable for period blood, no. which is much more dense. <laughs> And what we have seen come up a lot, and I've certainly seen this, like, especially over the last year, I know it's always been a thing, but it's definitely kind of come online um, trending in the last year is kind of training around your period and the different Mm -hmm. types of exercise you can take up in the different kind of phases. And I've heard a lot of different research happening around it that, um, you know, there's these recommendations, um, but at the end of the day, you know, there's, there's nothing really stopping you from still getting like a PB during a time that, you know, in some programs might necessarily tell you to do a yoga flow instead or something like that. Um, and that a lot of it can come down to mindset. However, I feel like because I'm someone who over the years of exercising has really learned to tune into my body, I, I genuinely wake up and each day figure out what I want to do that day based off of my mood and my energy levels. For those who aren't necessarily as in tune and they are looking for a little bit of guidance, particularly maybe around their menstrual cycle, what are your thoughts and like what are your recommendations around, yeah, training around your menstrual cycle? Yeah, this is a really interesting area and like a bit of a bugbear for me because what you said is absolutely correct. Um, but I think like, you know, when it comes to menstrual health and women's health, it's kind of been hijacked by the wellness industry now again. <laughs> and I see so many different um, like programs come out that are marketed by, you know, personal trainers with huge platforms. And it's like a training program based around the menstrual cycle. And we just don't really have the research to back that right now, nor can we say that every woman will have a four day, a four week cycle Mm. and that, you know, this first week, they'll definitely be in that phase because we have like textbook averages. But when we look at real world averages, there's so much variation from woman to woman. There's so much variation from cycle to cycle. And like you said, well, we may have some research that says, oh, in that menstrual phase, there's like a lower 
dip in performance and in strength gains it's a very small effect and mm. not all women will experience that so i think like what you've said in that you need to just tune into how you're feeling because granted there's going to be indirect effects because i know that when i'm on my period and i have you know, my boobs feel sore and I feel a bit bloated. I don't really want to put a barbell across my hips and do hip thrusts right now. Yeah. (laughs) But so I'll just tweak that. But maybe by day three, I'll feel okay. Mm. And if I was just listening to my program that said, go for a walk or do some Pilates, then, you know, I could be missing out on the benefits of strength training or I could just be doing a form of movement I don't actually enjoy. And I think, you know, when it comes to, exercise there's so many benefits as women we really need to be you know doing resistance training for our bones and there's so many benefits there so I kind of I worry that if we just keep it to one week of our cycle then we could be missing out on like huge health benefits so I guess my takeaway is use your menstrual cycle as an influencing factor use it to kind of check in with yourself but don't let it dictate your strength yeah. program or your exercise program. It doesn't have that much of a powerful influence from the research that we have. I love it. I love it because it kind of reminds me as well. Um, I like at kick, obviously, especially with like f- food and fueling your body. Um, we're all about doing that kind of in a really mindful, holistic way um, and not necessarily like st- following a strict diet or or Mm -hmm. a plan um and I feel like it's the same kind of thing like if you're following a meal guide or a plan it can be really hard to tune into how hungry you actually are or what your body's actually craving because you've got this set plan I I I feel the same way sometimes about some of these like really prospective prescriptive programs, um, particularly, as you said, around a menstrual cycle, which is so different from person to person. Um, so it's really interesting take. And I um, thank you for, for sharing it because I know it's <laughs> there's a lot of different opinions going around. So many, so many. <laughs> so how are you actually supposed to feel when you're ovulating? Because for me, I feel like I'm more, maybe it's since having my son, I'm more in tune with like everything that's going on there, but I feel like it's something I can physically feel now mm-hmm. and I don't necessarily, well, if I could feel it then maybe I just wasn't as aware of it, but I don't believe I was as in tune before having my son. So how does it feel? What's like going on? <laughs> Again, it really depends. And I'm similar to you in that I can't, I don't think I ever um, was aware that I was ovulating when I was in my twenties. And maybe it's because I'm older now and more in tune with my body or because I know all of this. I know exactly when it's happening. Um, but then, you know, so many women speak to me and they're like, I, or especially if they're trying to get pregnant, they're like, yeah. I find it really hard to find when I'm going to ovulate. Um, and ovulation, you know, we typically say it will happen halfway through the cycle, day 14. But that can vary up by 10 days in women. So it's really important that you're tracking your own cycle and listening to your symptoms. So typical symptoms of like ovulation is the most obvious one for a lot of women is their cervical mucus. So you'll find that your discharge or cervical mucus is really stretchy, like egg white consistency for maybe three days around your cycle. One of the other things that women will like measure, especially if they're trying to get pregnant again, is their temperature. Like it increases after you ovulate. So it happens kind of once that estrogen bump happens. 
And then the other thing that you can like look out for are physical symptoms. So you might find that your boobs look really perky. Your skin looks really like glowing. You might feel more energetic, stronger in the gym. They're a bit more subjective because lots of other things can influence those things. Um, and some women do actually feel ovulation pain. Mm. Um, so you might, you might be, you know, sitting at work and you get this random pain on one side and cause it's always one ovary that releases the egg. And that's probably you ovulating, especially if you like check your menstrual tracker and you're halfway through your cycle, it's likely that's what's happened. Um, so they're the kind of like main factors to consider. But again, some people just don't feel those things. Mm. When you were just talking then about it being one side, I'm sure that's got a lot to do with the next question that's coming up. And that is why is one period heavy and the next one's light? Can you explain that? <laughs> We don't really know. Um, it's because of lots of factors. Sometimes we'll have lighter periods if we're going through a period of stress. Um, or again, like we're doing loads of physical activity, which can kind of downregulate your hormones. Um, sometimes people can have really heavy um, periods if they've got an underlying condition. And sometimes that doesn't mean that every period will be light and heavy and light and heavy. Um, so if it's, you know, there's small differences between one period and the next, that's fine. If it's that you're finding that no period is the same, probably something that you should have a look, look into. Um, but again, like I said, there will be some periods that you find you might have clots in it and some periods that you'll find you actually can sail through it quite mm. well. Um, and I would say that your lifestyle and the things like your nutrition, your movement, your sleep and your stress do have an influence on that. Um which is can be a powerful thing to know. Mm. Okay, this last one, this comes up, I feel, all the time, not just when we actually reached out and asked about it, but just in general um, for women's health. And I know it's something that I questioned for a long time as well. But what about people who have been on the pill for a long time, maybe mm. 10, 15 years since they were young? Um, does it affect their menstrual cycle in the future or their fertility what do you know about how it can affect if you're on it for a long time yeah this is a question I get asked a lot as well and I think there's like a bit of pill like fear right now mm. and maybe some fear mongering online because a lot more people are going towards natural methods um there is no evidence to say that the pill will affect your fertility. Um, I remember saying this and a woman getting really upset with me because she really struggled to get her period back afterwards. Um, so I need to caveat this with, it could indirectly affect your period and I'll explain why. Because when we're on the pill, we have this like uh, withdrawal bleed. It's not a real period. Um, so the years that you're on the pill, you could develop an underlying condition like PCOS mm. or any condition that could yeah. cause you to have irregular cycles. Then when you come off the pill, it's a huge shock to you because you're expecting your period to come back straight away. And for some women, it does. For some women, it can take up to three months. And I think that's a, a reasonable time to wait. Any longer, definitely go explore what might be going on. And I guess that's how it could indirectly indirectly mm. affect your fertility because it could mask something that's going on. Yeah. I And I'm nodding along because that's exactly what happened to me when I came off the pill. I'd been on it or 
how long I'd have been on it, maybe six or seven years and I didn't get my period for a year and I found out that – and I also started to break out and all this other stuff happened and um, I found out I had PCOS and um, – it was basically, yeah, masking my symptoms. And so one doctor said, well, you can go back on the pill and your skin will probably clear up and you'll have a fake but regular period. Um, and I, I decided not to because I knew I, you know, within the next five years or so I wanted to have kids and I just went to, to a different method, which was just a personal choice. But um, it's really interesting because when I hear people talking about the pill in that way, I, I do think like from a personal experience, it didn't. I don't think it like brought on my P- PCOS, but yeah, for me, it masked it. So I wasn't aware of it until I came off it. So it is, it's really interesting. And, and thank you for talking about it. Cause I do agree. I think there is this, this fear. A lot of people are really scared now. And I mean, it, it's great that there's maybe more information around it. Cause I feel like when I was certainly a teenager, it was just like, Oh, you're having sex. Okay. Get on the pill. And like, mm. there was less known about it. Um, but I think at times it's a really great option um and certainly better than um you know unwanted pregnancy um, absolutely for sure that's it but I think you're right in that like um we need to have more informed choices for women when it comes to forms of contraception because there are so many there are so many and I think like until you go down that route you don't really know. Like, I think most people are aware of the pill and the coil, but there are other options. There's, you know, patches, there's things to explore that maybe you didn't explore before and suit you better. Um, and not, you know, every pill might suit you, might be switching to another one and, and giving that a go. Um, and like you said, like hormonal contraception has been amazing. It's like, you know, allowed women to really like, you know, build careers and and manage really debilitating symptoms. So there are there is a place for it. Do I think everyone needs to be on a form of contraception? Not necessarily. Not if you don't have a reason for that. So mm. I think, you know, speak to your doctor, do your research and figure out what form works best for you and try not to get swayed by the people on the internet who tell you otherwise. <laughs> Amazing. Thank you so much, Hazel. I feel like, I mean, not only did you answer all the community's questions, but um, (laughs) I feel like these are the kind of questions that whilst I've learned about them, it still helps to be reminded of some of these things often. And if anyone wants to learn more, um, you've created a program, Align. So do you want to tell everyone a little bit about it? And um, we'll definitely put the information in the show notes as well. Yeah, thank you. Um, So in 2022, I released my third book, The Female Factor, which is a general kind of broader conversation around how women are excluded from medical research. Um, And off at the back of that book, I had so many women in my DMs with period problems, with like wanting to understand more about their menstrual cycle, how it influenced like cravings, binge eating, their skin, their strength, how they can tweak their nutrition to support all of these phases. And I didn't really think I had a book in me, another book. So I was like, I'm going to build this course that's, you know, lecture based, takes women through a 10 week program Mm. to learn all about their menstrual cycle, what's normal, what's not. And things like how nutrition changes, movement, potential movement changes, um, things like how sleep is affected, how Mm. mood is affected and how skin is affected. Um, And it's just been really, I think the most positive thing that's come from it is the conversations that have happened and the amount of women who just feel a bit more in control because I think 
a lot of women who especially come to me feel like they've been dismissed by health professionals um, or told their symptoms are all in their head Mm. or told that their symptoms are just part of having a menstrual cycle. And I think that's the thing that I'm like hugely passionate about is not is trying to like get rid of that normalization or just acceptance that we're just in the, you know, the hormones are in the driver's seat and we're just here for the ride. Mm. Oh, it sounds amazing. Thank you so much for your time today. Um, You know, especially given that you're in Oz and you're having a bit of time (laughs) off, I really appreciate it. I know our community are going to appreciate this episode quite a lot. So thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for listening, guys. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you ever want to get involved with our podcast, maybe we're talking about a segment, you have something relatable you want to chat about, a DNM, questions, um, please send your voice notes or your stories to us at KickPod, where you can DM us directly. Um, and you can also keep up with everything that we're doing on the podcast there as well. You can see the video content that we share and any other questions or updates when we want to get you guys involved. You sure can. And if you want to find out more about Kick, you can learn more at kickapp.com. You can download the app on the Google Play or the Apple Store. We have got a free seven-day trial. And you can find us on Instagram at Smith at laurie.henshaw and on TikTok at Kick. We will chat to you soon. Bye.